Mr. Pop. Welcome, listeners, to Dark Tides, a paranormal actual play podcast. This is, in fact, season two. We are back at it again. I am your host, show creator, and narrator, Aubrey Lydon. And with me, as uh, seems to be the inevitable truth, are my cast, Chester Lydon and BJ Ingate. How Hello. are we doing? Good. I'm doing good. How are you doing? Oh, yeah, you know, man. You know, yeah, you it's know. me. Back you know. at it again. Back at it again. Back at it again. After popular demand yeah. for a second season. Back at it again, Krispy Kreme. Uh, my name is BJ. I play a 21-year-old emo with a short fuse and a fondness for chocolate milk by the name of Alistair Stern. Two years ago, after the mysterious disappearance of his best friend Ernest, he moved to the mainland from his hometown in the Hook Bar Archipelago. Ali works as a field operative for the Tear Society, a secret, uh, secretive organisation established for the study, protection and conservation of the preternatural and the unexplained. If that's too long, feel free to cut the second half about <laughs> Dear Society because that'll... It's making me look bad. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I thought that. The whole... I was sitting at my dining room table with my laptop yesterday typing my intro and I'm like, oh, oh Jess is going to be so <laughs> mad. Jess is not going to be Because he's not going to have one. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome. <laughs> um, I'm Chester Lynn and I play Heath O'Sullivan, a tier special forces operative and leader of their newest trainee team, codename Wormwood. With his incredibly versatile vertigo ability and being a fey-touched individual, Heath has shot through the ranks at tier and at 27 is the youngest to ever hold his rank and prestige. Plus not one. not quite Team 7, but... Uh... Yeah, Team 8, you know, the one where, whichever one uh, Lee's in. About I think it is too bad, actually. Hey, I've never watched it. It might be. Yeah. I don't actually remember. Anyway. Anyway, yes. Unimportant. So just move on from me. Thank uh, you. We, you can record one. And oh, I can record later. one no, after. No, you can't. You'll do it live like the rest of us, Chester. <laughs> Deal with it. You'll okay. suffer with the rest of us. <laughs> okay. Well, for any new listeners. Good you luck. Can, you can jump in here. It's okay. We will do our best to look after you. But this is season two of our ongoing Dark Tides story. What? We the, left... fir- the first 23 episodes aren't good enough for you? Go still here, do you? Well, I understand listening back to the first couple, they're a bit shoddy. Uh, so, <laughs> yes, this is the continuation of our uh, audio drama series. We are actually picking up after a two-year gap in world, uh, and we'll be delving into all of that. Um, But this comes after we ourselves, the creators of this podcast, have taken a bit of a break. And we've been doing a lot in that break. We haven't actually rested Mm. Taken not a break. We've in fact been busier than we were before. Um, So after we finished recording season one's final episode, we have since been working on a very special little project, which is already in your feed if you're listening to this called Feed the Machine. Chester, you want to tell us a little bit about Feed the Machine? Hello, yes. So if you're listening on Spotify or Google Podcasts or any of those types of places, uh, you will be able to see probably just below this episode, in fact, episode one of Feed the Machine. Now, it is only just episode one. The rest of the series is most likely up already by now on Patreon, the full series. So Feed the Machine is a prequel series to Dark Tides set in the 70s and in the uh, hook bar of Archipelago. Uh, it is very core to a lot of concepts and ideas that are happening in this season. It's not 
like you don't need to watch it to understand what's going on we will explain things but uh there's a lot of references and a lot of cool things going in there which link to stuff we've done in season one and into season two and all that type of stuff i worked very closely with aubrey with his plans of season two for what we would do with feed the machine so it's kind of just like a little fun thing that you can enjoy on the side which does have a level of importance to the plot it's not like anime movies where it's like ha this is a really cool thing but no one ever talks about it ever again so it's not actually canon it was a cool thing but you don't need to know the damn my hero academia movies so frustrating they had the coolest plots out of like the arts and none of them happened getting started (laughs) yes so this is one thing that we've been working on the second thing to announce is that we're adding a new tier to our patreon so for supporters who want to uh slip a few coins our way over the, proverb- under the door under the proverbial door um there is a new tier on patreon which has some new bonuses that we've been working on uh the main one that i'm very excited about is an ongoing series that is going to be releasing only on patreon called solar scar it mm-hmm. is a sci-fi bounty hunter uh, extravaganza. Extravaganza. <laughs> it's a bit if of a you weird can't come one. up with a word. Throw in extravaganza. <laughs> I don't know. I guess I'm. I shouldn't mix my genres too much. Uh, it is basically like a space western, uh, which we are very excited for. Chester and BJ have mm-hmm. characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a little underproduced compared to this show. There's less less hoo ha and editing. It's um, more like sitting down around the table with us and coming along with all the and slowly chaos losing your and, mind. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, just about. So if you're interested in seeing us play uh, some sci-fi goodness, you can check that out by joining our Patreon uh, at the ten dollar tier, I believe is what it's called. Just read that out. I don't know what it's called. <laughs> well, it's not called the ten dollar tier. Doesn't matter. Definitely leaving it. None of that. None of that needs to be there. Um, I believe the way is it works is we have the <laughs> Cub Scouts. Look, just go to our Patreon tier. and you'll find out. I mean, it's, <laughs> we, it's not that hard, really. What do you what do you expect from us? We, we, we sit in here tier. every week. We do all this work for you, and you can't even go check out our Patreon yourself. Fun facts. Okay, fun facts. Yeah, we can do so, fun facts. Fun fact about BJ didn't think of fun facts. Oh, did video not? I oh, did video not think of um, fun facts? Well, well, what a reverse from season one. This is uh, the real drama is happening here, My, not in the show. To be fair, I have like three pages of character backstory of what I've been doing, but I don't have a fun fact. <laughs> Just pick one from there. He's been learning guitar. Yeah, he's been well, learning. He, he's playing guitar. <laughs> he's, he was yeah. already playing. He's been busking. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, uh, Heath's favourite book, and I brought it into the studio today, is Thomas Harris's The Silence of the Lambs. He doesn't like the movie, but he likes the book. Funny that. Isn't the book not as good as the movie? It probably is. Like Jaws. Probably everyone... like. Wait, is the movie an actual adaption of the book, or is the book like a novelisation of the movie? I mean, it would, ha- it would probably have to be the novel first, right? I would have to believe the novel would come first. Who would... No, it would do that for Sons of the Lambs. Although, to be fair, Star Wars has novelizations, and that's the dumbest thing in the world. Dragon Friends have a novelization of their first season. They As I don't. said, it's the dumbest thing in the world. <laughs> they do. Wow. The way they advertised it was we now have a novelization of the first season, which nobody ever asked for. Uh, well, my fun fact is what Alistair's been up to. So, at the end of the last season, he dramatically left the archipelago uh, with Charlotte and McAllister. He, look, he took a couple of months. He just took some time off, you know, 
have a bit of a break after the horrifying traumas that he endured. Um, and he moved back in with his mum and his sister for a couple of months. Was man, it wasn't that bad. To rebuild some... <laughs> some healthy relationships. What? Season one or moving back in with his mum? <laughs> no, you want to take it, man. <laughs> Re, you know, reconnecting his relationships, re, rebuilding uh, all of that stuff, living with family members that kind of understand him a little bit more than his dad. Uh, and then he joined the Tear Society as a field operative working under Charlotte Bell. Yes, a junior uh, field operative, specifically as a He doesn't field tell people that. He just tells them he's a field operative. <laughs> yeah, there is a whole system and hierarchy there uh, that Alistair is skimming over. <laughs> Aware of, but doesn't call attention to. But because I would be bored recapping things, we're just going to jump in... Uh, in media res, we're just going to begin where I felt like it was interesting to start writing this section <laughs> of the story from. Uh, so with that, are you ready? Oh, I'm ready. We're going on a bear hunt. Going to catch a big one. Going to catch a big one. It's going to be the biggest one. Vijay <laughs> doesn't know that book. <laughs> I know that one. Why did you go, that one. Why did you go Marv Then Why did well? you go that way rather than... I was. I'm not scared, or uh, we're not scared. I'm, I'm not, not scared. scared because Alistair breaks the mold. He just, you know. Mm, sure. Is Alistair, he scared? Alistair, he doesn't yeah. know, but he's Alistair gonna catch a big one. Weirdly enough, Alistair seems to annoy me more every time we record. <laughs> <laughs> Alistair, he just breaks the mold, man. <laughs> We open above the city of Bruges in Belgium. In the early hours of the morning, the picturesque city sleeps as a light snow falls. This city, crisscrossed by canals and dominated by medieval architecture, looks like a scene from a fairy tale. Yet on the edge of the city, in a lonely, overgrown graveyard, a nightmare is about to begin. Three figures stand amid the freshly fallen snow, their breath pluming before them. It's been over two years since he left his home in the archipelago of Hukbar. But here we find Alistair Stern. Alistair is wearing his now patented Doc Martens, as always. Um, he's got some thick jeans that don't have holes this time because it's winter and so he kind of upgraded... Um, and uh, he's wearing a long, a long, thick coat and a dark-coloured scarf. He is not wearing a, a hat. He's got it in his hand. He probably should be wearing it, kind of like a winter woolen cap. Um, and you can see his hair is kind of grown out a little bit, and it's kind of blonde now. It's not the green that it was because he hasn't really redyed it since he's been away. So it's kind of is Alistair actually blonde? No, no, he's got dark hair, but like it's the the green has faded, oh, and they're now like grown out blonde streaks. Yeah, mm -hmm. and standing with him, standing with him is Heath O'Sullivan. Heath is wearing very black, uh, very skinny jeans with a pair of black leather wicklepinkers. He is wearing a silky. Uh, Sorry, what? Wicklepinkers. Yeah, no, I heard what you said. 
Oh, they're awesome. They are very cool shoes. They are very fancy, almost pointed kind of Victorian style boots. Yeah, with lots of buckles and lots of zips and stuff like that. He is wearing a shiny silk shirt, black silk shirt. There's the first top two buttons are undone and he has it rolled up a little bit. Uh, he looks like he should be freezing to death right now. And he is wearing a large uh, crimson, dark, almost like a bourbony type of red coat that goes down to kind of like high thigh length. It's a dark, dark red and it's a woolen one. And the collar's turned up and he runs a hand through his long black hair that runs down to nearly his shoulders. And he puts his hands on his hips and looks at the crypt entrance before them. The third member of your group, the third member of Team Wormwood, in fact, is a young woman. She is thin and pale. Her head is shaved to stubble. This is the junior tier defense operative, Puck Welsh. Puck is quite small compared to the two of you, um, but she more than makes up for it with her imposing presence. Puck is dressed entirely in black, ripped jeans, uh, heavy spiked studded leather jacket, and curb stomping jackboots. She's also literally tattooed from head to foot. Uh, with the strangest assortments of tattoos that you have ever seen. Um, all of them are incredibly detailed uh, objects in black ink. And she has her hands in her pocket. Are they all in black? There's no colours on the tattoos? All of them are in black. Nice. The three of you are standing in front of a weathered, aged mausoleum. It's the largest one in this uh, small, cramped graveyard. It's overgrown with ivy. Um, it's of an era where these things were built to look almost like miniature Greek temples with uh, little columns outside. Mm. And there uh, is an iron door set into it. And you can see that this door has been broken inwards with a lot of force. Now, the three of you are in Bruges on an assignment. To recap very quickly, uh, the three of you are here to retrieve a tier researcher who has been working in Bruges now for a couple of months. His name is Douglas Hildebrand. Now, a few weeks ago, Hildebrand became rather suspicious that he was being followed, that someone was stalking him. Uh, after this persisted, his communication with Tyr completely stopped. And as is protocol, a retrieval team was sent in. That is you guys, Team Wormwood. Earlier that day, you had uh, found Hildebrand's hotel room. You had found it completely trashed, all of his stuff taken. Uh, signs of a struggle and you are now worried that Hildebrand is either kidnapped or acting under duress and you have tracked him down to this graveyard one of the locations where he was looking for some item of interest to tear okay um, Alistair's going to reach into a pocket of his coat and pull out a small camera and if this is something that Aubrey will let me have mm -hmm. um, and pin it to the outside like lapel of his jacket this is like a, a body cam basically just like a body cam um, and then he's going to reach in to a side holster and pull out a nine millimeter glock automatic pistol mm -hmm. okay uh well so <laughs> all right um so heath is going to be in the process of checking his watch what time is it uh it is a quarter to one in the morning quarter to one in the morning uh he is then going to see alistair pulling out a gun and is going to put his hand on alistair's shoulder and say oh hey, boy oh boy, boy, boy hold on wait till we hold on just in case yeah well we're not going in there just yet are we now 
Uh, you turn around and Puck has done the same thing. She has pulled out her gun and she's like checking um, checking the clip and she's got a torch too. No. He goes, what, are we, are we not going in? We, we, we are, but for, there is procedure. Okay. Yes, the procedure is going in. No. <laughs> no. Hold on. Okay, and he like slaps Alistair in the shoulder a little bit, turns to him and like, okay, I need you to, it is one o'clock in the morning. I need you to send the signal out to HQ. Let them know that we're going in now. We will then continue to send a signal to them every 20 minutes. And if they don't receive a signal, they will receive a signal basically saying that everything has gone shit. That's the protocol. All right. So you we got can it. have backup. Alistair holsters his gun. Uh, would I? Ha- would that be on my phone, or would, like would I have a separate? It would be. I would believe it would be its individual device. It would be a signal okay. like it would be almost yes. like a beeper. Type you guys thing. have a tier specific developed comms system. Okay. Uh, essentially, an extremely fancy, compact, uh, portable radio uh, that clips to your belt, and you have um, a Bluetooth earpiece. Uh, And the idea is that this thing should be about the most powerful transmitting device that you can carry on your person. Mm -hmm. Uh, So not a lot of things are going to interrupt this signal. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, cool. So, um, and then Heath is going to turn to Puck and is going to tap on his ear as he puts on a little receiver onto his ear as like, Puck, can you see me? Can you can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay, beautiful. So how are we going to do this? I have, as I agreed, I'm going to leave the the actions in this situation to to you two trainees gonna give you a, a bit of a chance here to to go through this as you see fit i'll uh, i'll stay back but i'll be listening the whole time i'll be a few steps behind you but i'll be leaving this to you too all right uh alistair's finished putting his earpiece in and setting the signal um and he re-pulls out his gun and turns to puck and he's like you want to take point on this one uh, i did it last time so well, I am the defense agent, so yeah, that's my job. You uh, research boys, you can hang back a little. Uh, she begins heading for the mausoleum. Uh, as she shines her torch through the door, you can see that these stairs head down uh, into a crypt of sorts. And as the two of you follow, uh, you can see that there are several different passageways branching off. Research boys. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Heath is going to clap Alistair on the back as he kind of pushes him into the crypt and says, don't take any mind to it. Anyway, Boyle. Uh, that's all right. Best I'm, of luck. I'm used to it. Right. Heath is going to pull a packet of cigarettes out of his pocket and start lighting one as he watches them descend into the crypt. Oh, so Heath's not coming in. Heath's going to be a few steps behind you. All right. Um, <laughs> He's like, go call down. Now, if anything happens, let me know. Are you not coming in? I will. I'll scream yeah. or something. Yeah, that would. Um, see, that's Puck all is I scratching her head with all the right. gun. Uh, <laughs> she's uh, looking at the four or five different passageways that are leading off from here. She's going, eeny meeny, meeny mo. Okay, Alice. you go that way. I'm going to go this way. I think uh, Heath, you take the central one. I'll go this way. Uh, actually, um, can anyone see any signs of where they've gone? Ah, uh, Alistair, hang on. Um, wait. Heath is very clearly at the back writing in a notebook, just like a little report. It's like, uh, okay, so splitting up, that's a minus one. All right, so um, Alistair's going to pull a little stick of engineer's chalk out mm-hmm. of his... It's basically like chalk, but it's like a crayon, yeah, like but chalk, um, so that he can mark the tunnels. And I would like to roll to investigate... Uh, all right, it'll be a DC seven, so give me your D twelve, and if there's any relevant skills, let me know, and you can add your modifier. Heath will support. 
I have paranormal knowledge, which I don't think will help. New. Um, yeah, I don't think I have any skills that will help with it. Um, oh, well, um, I, I will use my um, super, uh, supernatural detection, but I'll only use it as support because, once again, Heath isn't trying to, like, lead this one. He's trying to help. So I'll give Alistair uh, advantage with that. But Heath is just kind of kind of be, like, pointing things out to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, have a look at that. Uh, well, that advantage did not help me, but I rolled a 10, so I beat the 10. I rolled a 10. Okay. Um, all right. Well, between the two of you and Puck on her own, um, you discover that someone has been down here several times. Uh, there are tracks in the dust down here that would suggest that someone has gone along many of these tunnels. Some are more recent tracks. Some are older now, the fact that the door has been barged in would tell you that uh, generally there has been someone down here with a key that didn't have to smash the door in. Um, sure. Now, there are three sets of fairly recent tracks um, and they are taking the three clearest tunnels, one in the centre and two on the right-hand side. Now, it's hard for you to tell exactly which one um, is going to be the one that you're looking for. There's no drag marks. It doesn't look like anyone has been forcibly carried down here. Uh, I think for the sake of safety, we should, Puck, you and I should go down together, investigate each one, and then Heath, if you stay out here, you can catch anything that we chase out. Does that sound good? Heath is going to sit down on the steps, coming down from the crypt, and kind of fold his hands between his legs and say, well, before we... uh," He's going to take a, a puff on his cigarette and blow out a thin trail of blue smoke into the air and so, well you notice the uh, the door yeah uh, obviously somebody had somebody's been in here with a key but clearly whoever we're mm-hmm. following down here did not have a key means we're uh, possibly dealing with two different parties here yeah okay well that's why I thought maybe if we stick together we've got a better chance that sticking together is a much better idea in my opinion that sounds good i'll wait out here and uh i'll just keep on listening on the the uh the old speaker boy all right and i nod to puck to go into the first tunnel and uh ish, ish, i take it she heads in and i'm gonna yeah. mark the tunnel with my chalk she if you were gonna try and go first she was like gonna shove you but no she, I, i'd said she was taking first. point all right she is uh moving quickly and quietly puck is uh very light on her feet and she's doing the standard police procedure of flashlight uh, in the fist, hand with the firearm on top of that arm, uh, moving forwards as you follow her. All right, you begin to thread your way through this tunnel. Um, Make a perception check for me uh, or an investigation. You are rolling to see what is around you. I take it that's just a straight roll. That'd be just a straight roll, really. Uh, DC 5. I got a five, so does that pass? That passes, it yep. beats it, yeah. Okay. Uh, all right, as you're going, you realise that this is a fairly old cemetery in a very old city. Uh, some of the graves down here are extremely old. What you are moving through now is essentially uh, hewn-out tunnels. It's hard to know if they are natural or man-made or some combination of the two. They're very rough stone. Are there a bunch of skulls on the ground like in The Last Crusade? No, no, no. These are alcoves carved into the walls where coffins or um, stone 
chests have been placed. Okay. Uh, there are plaques on some. Some are utterly decaying. Uh, as you move through, you notice that there are carvings on some of them, um, elaborate flower patterns, uh, tree patterns. There's all sorts of different things. Uh, and the tunnel changes. At some points, it's quite wide. The two of you could easily uh, walk shoulder to shoulder. At other points, you almost have to um, turn to the side and edge your way through. As you are going, you're looking for signs that someone has passed uh, this way. There does seem like in places, uh, the dust has been rubbed off sections of plaque or stone where someone who's obviously a bit heavier than you, a bit bigger than you guys um, have squeezed their way through. But so far you are seeing nothing. Uh, your breath is still pluming in front of you. It is legitimately freezing down here. Uh, also, do you want to roll for your two? Oh, yes. Your my prescience. Precedence, whatever you yeah. Yep. That's a five. <laughs> that's helpful. And a one. That's a bit better. All right. A five and a one. As you are heading forward... Puck whispers back to you and she says, hey, so um, what do you think we're dealing with? Think this is going to be a juicy one? Yeah, it's hard to say. I don't know if Hildebrand is being affected by something or if he's just being threatened. But either way, probably we're going to find something. I think it's a vampire. That's my legitimate bet. I think it's nice. a vampire. And I think we're going to find him dead. And I think we're going to find blood everywhere. And I think this is going to be uh, an incredible night. Well, I've never met a vampire, so I'd be up for it. Well, I mean, I'd prefer if he wasn't dead. The vampire? No, kill the brace. Yeah. My bad. I was, I was, I was thinking of other things. That's okay. <laughs> All right. Um, you're around a corner, and you now come to a crossways uh, where the tunnel diverts in a couple of different directions. You're standing almost in a little crossroads of sorts. Um, as you shine your torches down these different directions, uh, make another perception check for me. Okay. That's a nine. All right, with a nine, um, you can see that of these maybe four different directions, uh, at least two of them have been traveled more recently. The other thing um, that both of you notice uh, is that you seem to be getting into maybe an older part of this crypt, maybe a wealthier part because there are more carvings here than before. There are uh, stone coffins with carved figures on top of them in repose. Um, there are cherubs here and angel wings there. In fact, um, next to the entrance to each of these different sections, there are fairly uh, worn down, almost grotesque gargoyle kind of carvings um, that reach from sort of floor to ceiling. And this is not a very high ceiling room. You guys are having to bend a little bit to not hit your heads on things. Okay. Um, can I roll to investigate the carvings? And I'm mostly just looking for anything that doesn't look congruent with that kind of carving, you know, that art from that. Yeah, time. roll for me. Uh, it's a three. Uh, most of them are pretty weather-worn, time-worn. Uh, it's hard to tell. But Definitely there's things from different periods down here, but this is an old city. It's an old crypt. Nothing that Who I knows. expect to see. Um, okay. Heath comes over the, the radio to you too. All right, status report. How are things going? Uh, yep, pretty good. Um, we've just come across another crossways. Looks like someone's uh, gone down a couple of corridors recently, so we'll 
investigate. We'll call you if you need anything. Sounds good. All right. Um, while you're on the phone, Puck has been moving slightly down one of these corridors, uh, one of the ones that has the sort of markings in the ground and on the walls that suggest that someone's been this way. And she puts a finger to her lips. She gestures for you to go down the one next to her as she continues down this one. I kind of give her a questioning look. It's like, you sure we should split up? She makes like the finger walking sign on her hand, points down and then (laughs) turn around, come back. And she's like, makes a a fairly uh, obscene gesture at you after that. Alistair does a little finger salute and then turns to go down the other corridor. So thought, I think as they go deeper, we should continuously roll for the signal of their their ability to reach Heath as they go deeper Um, into this crypt for like their their little headphone The lower the roll, the worse the signal on a one, it cuts completely. Okay. One Um, or two, sorry. And I've marked both of our... Yep. The ones we went down with my chalk as well. Yep. All right. I'm going to roll for Puck. Fighting monsters with chalk. Yeah. Alistair Stern back at it again. All right. Um, you continue down this uh, corridor. If anything, it seems to get colder down here. Uh, it's hard to tell if you're traveling deeper. You're definitely traveling a fair way. You would realize that on the surface, you were probably not even in the graveyard anymore. You were probably well outside um, the old boundary walls. Okay. Uh, these tunnels just seem to keep stretching out deeper and deeper. Uh, as you continue moving, you realize that there are more carvings in here, more carved uh, coffin lids, more decorated plaques. They definitely seem to be getting more intricate as if you are heading into a wealthier section, which seems strange to you because you're getting further and further away from the entrance, which you would think is probably where the wealthier yeah. people would be buried. Um, but make a roll for me. That's an eight straight roll. Uh, straight eight. Okay. That's quite good. As you uh, come to a slight corner, a deviation in the path of the tunnel, you hear the lightest, almost imperceptible grinding of stone. Okay. And you feel after two years now of fairly continuous training and honing of your physical skills and abilities, uh, you can sense movement behind you in the tunnel. Okay, I'm immediately going to take cover or crouch down, try and make myself as small as possible and switch off my torch. Mm -hmm. And then I'm imagining there'd be some button on my messenger that can silently message. Yep, it's basically like like, a pager. Yep, like, hey, I found something, basically. Uh, Yes, I will. send this to Puck? Yes. It would send it out to everyone. It would send to both. both Are we going to roll for signal? Uh, Yes, you roll for the signal. I'll just say, can I type? Um, I would say that this is more like a distress or a warning signal. Um, it would have like a, maybe it would even be like a Morse code SOS pre-message. That's a one. So Heath doesn't hear it. Uh, nobody hears it. Okay. Oh, oh, oh. All right. Alistair's dead already. Al- Alistair doesn't know that though. <clears throat> yeah, true. Alistair thinks backup is coming. I am going to, as silently as I can, start backing down the corridor so my back is towards the direction I was headed. So I'm going further in, but I'm facing yep. backwards. So I'm 
facing towards the noise which came from behind. Yes, you've turned. You've basically turned on your heel. You're looking the way that you've come, and you're moving backwards. Yep. And I'm doing that right. as slowly and as quietly as I can. And my idea is to wait until I hear something and then switch on my torch to surprise okay. whatever it is. Yeah. So I'm going to listen. All right. Roll for me. <laughs> Twelve. All right. Uh, you hear. Again, this faint sound, almost like stone grinding on stone, uh, and it grows louder, and it begins to come from multiple directions. Oh, okay. Uh, multiple places in the same direction, really, oh, right. which yep. would indicate to you that there's more and more than one of whatever is down here with you. Okay. Uh, and then it's moving closer to you. And it's blocking me off. Yes. Nope. Oh, oh, Herb's giving me the thumbs up, so I must be good to go. Hello, dear listeners, my name is Dave Lightning. I'm here to talk to you about the two brand new shows available on the Dark Tides Patreon. Now, of course, the Dark Tides Patreon has three different tiers. We have different perks, bonuses, and content spread across all three. But I thought I'd let you know about the brand new third tier, which gets all the amazing bonuses from the other tiers, but also gets two brand new shows. Solar Scar, featuring the cast of Dark Tides as bounty hunters in a sci-fi setting, doing jobs, bringing in bounties to pay off their debts. As well, there is also Tower Transmissions, an in-world radio show starring yours truly and my friend Carl, as we discuss the strange goings-on on the archipelago. This week we had Mayor Stern on to discuss the situation of the re-election, the betrayal of his assistant, and his thoughts on the rampant vandalism of a senior citizen's house by either schoolchildren or gnomes, if you subscribe to all that business, like my good friend Carl. Both those shows and much more are available right now at patreon.com slash darktides. Check it out. Herb. Herb, what does the slash bit mean? I don't understand. Alright, uh, how far off? In terms of about four meters. Oh, so like right on top of me. Uh, in that case, I will immediately switch on my torch. Because I was gonna, like, wait and hide, but if they're that close, I'll just... Alright, what you see as you suddenly switch on the light, it takes your, your eyes a moment to adjust. And for a second, you almost don't believe what you see. Because what you see is that three of these gargoyle figures have detached themselves from the wall. One is in the passageway, like, standing on the ground. It seems to be some kind of ghoulish, maybe even demonic kind of figure. Its features are still as worn as it was when you saw them. Um, it stands about a metre and a half tall. Mm-hmm. Another one is climbing along the wall next to it, and another one is up on the opposite corner ceiling. Okay. And the three of them are moving. Now that the light is on... You can see there seems to be no life in their eyes. There's no, almost no intelligence, but these things are moving stone beings and they're going to rush you. As soon as I, as I see that and switch my torch on, I'm going to run towards them. Mm-hmm. And my, my basic plan is to get past them, like use the speed of like suddenly running to like basically get through them and run back All right. the way they're behind me. Uh, we'll make opposed rolls. Um, and do I roll... Do I get a plus to something? Is well, it depends if this is in self-defense. Uh, it depends maybe if you're trying to sort of... I would say so because I'm... Them. I think, well, I think the idea is I'm trying to dodge them. Yep. So 
rather than attacking them, I'm trying to, which I would imagine would come under my self-defense training, is like trying not to get hit. Yeah, all right, we'll do that. So you roll, and it's a plus two to your roll with your skill, self-defense skill. Seven. All right, you slip past the first one. The second one reaches out to grab you. You sort of turn your shoulder to it. You slam past it, but the third on the ceiling is a little bit further back, and it sees what you're doing, and it drops directly onto you. Okay. Uh, with an 11, it basically tackles you to the ground. Okay. Make a saving throw for Ooh, me. So this, this is, is just a, a this is just a uh, random, so just a normal roll, a luck roll. Yep. And you need to beat an 8. Okay. I did not beat an 8. All right. Where this creature, these stone claws, which, by the way, are freezing and heavy, where it hits into your chests, chest and pins you to the ground... You begin to feel a cold spreading out from them. And as you look down in the torchlight, you can see that where this thing is touching you, your clothes are beginning to harden and calcify and turn to a stone colour as if it's trying to petrify you. (laughs) Well, first of all, I'm going to fire my gun, uh, but I'm not necessarily trying to hit anything. I'm just making noise. You're going to try and hit it? Um, if I can, but... you, It's on top of you, so you would basically be point-blank range. Your okay, arms are free. Sure. It's pinned your chest. I'm more I'm more shooting to alert Puck and, uh-huh. um, and Heath that this is where I am, and also because screaming is going to take more effort than just pulling the trigger. So I will shoot and, yeah, I guess roll to hit it if it's yep. point-blank. Uh, advantage because it's it. point-blank. Yep. Plus your firearm so, skill. Well, that was a 13 to hit then. <laughs> All right, yep. Uh, that absolutely hits it. Uh, I rolled max damage, so I do 12 damage to it. Uh, okay. It dead, I hope. Uh, not quite. Ah. You shoot it. Uh, the aim is slightly off. What you do is you ch- take um, a good portion of its chest and a chunk of its arm and shoulder off. Okay. This shatters and showers stone down on you as this thing recoils almost with a hiss. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard to know where this sound comes from. Uh, but yes, you can, with a strength check of five, you can push this thing completely off you and get to your feet. Uh, I'd put self-defense under this. You're still okay. in a So uh, that's, that's a five. So, yep. Yes, you shove it off you, uh, roll to your feet, and now you are between them and the way that you've come. So you have sort of turned the tables. You're now yep. on the other side of, of them. Okay. Um... I would like to... So I'm standing... The one that's closest to me, which is the injured one, mm-hmm. uh, I would like to make an attack on it and throw it towards the others. Sure. Yeah. Roll with advantage because it's quite hurting on the ground. Uh, that's a five if I count this as self-defense. I'm uh, not going to do it. All right. Okay. You lunge for it, but this thing scuttles away almost like a spider up the wall onto okay. the roof out of your reach. It's badly hurt, and it's going to start scuttling back into the darkness of the corridor, but the two are still coming for you. Okay, that's fine. I just ignore it and run. Okay. Um, and also shout, Puck, <laughs> it's the gargoyles! Uh, okay. As- the vampires, sorry! All right, you are you're running back down this corridor, and you can see a light at the end. All right, you can see this, the light of Heath's cigarette in the dark, just a glowing point, and his eyes reflected in it. You dash down this corridor. You can see the figure of Heath very gently illuminated. 
And then as you are almost at the end of it, uh, there is a blinding white flash as Puck skids around the corner, pointing her flashlight in your face. Uh, I'm going to roll to not run into her. All right. Uh, would you like to roll to see what she has in her hand? I run into whatever it is. Um, all right. As I roll a two. You do not, okay. What you do is you see that Puck with... Uh, she's uh, holstered her pistol. What she has is a torch in one hand yeah. and a flashbang in the other. Oh. And she is like a baseball pitcher. She is winding up to throw this thing down the corridor. Yeah, so I run out and I'm like, give it two seconds, then throw. But she's not listening. Uh, you, yeah, as you basically have to dive to the ground to avoid being hit with this thing as yep. she just pegs it down uh, the corridor. Uh, what's Heath doing at this point? Uh, Heath is still smoking, watching them do this. All right, the flashbang goes off. Um, I both Heath will know what he is doing. Both of you, both you and Puck, need to roll to not be stunned by it. Okay. Uh, DC five. Yeah, I'm fine. All right, you're fine. I, I uh, saw what was going like. Puck almost forgot and then remembered <laughs> at the last minute. Oh, not to look that way. She turns around. Um, there is a crack and a bang, a flash of white sulfur light. Yep. I said, wait two seconds. She, her ears are ringing. She's going, what? I, I can't I, I can't hear you. She's like smacking her at the side of her head. I said, wait two. Oh, never mind. It's the gargoyles. Uh, and she goes, oh, okay. That makes sense. Yeah. They tried um, to like petrify me. And that is? Uh, uh, um, is it, is it? Uh, African? No, not African. Um, Heath uh, claps Alistair on the shoulder and starts striding into the the corridor he just ran through. It's like Stone Trolls Alley, Stone Trolls. Oh, Eastern Europe. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Gotcha. Um, hey, does, how do we um, stop them again? Is Belgium Eastern Europe? Okay. Uh, right. Heath is going to march into the the pathway. The corridor. All right. The flashbang has sent these things scuttling and running. It doesn't seem to have damaged them very much. You find um, the one that Alistair had hurt uh, is dead on the ground. It's sort of cracked and fallen to pieces. Uh, now that he's reminded me what they are or mm. told me what they are, can I roll to see if I remember how to fight them? Yeah, you Other can roll. Other than just shooting them? You can roll again. Okay. Uh, oh, that's a 10. All right, because these are stone trolls, um, their physiognomy is basically like living stone. It's not like a stone shell or anything. Uh, this is basically animate stone. Um, okay. Therefore, the most the thing that is going to do the most damage to them uh, is vibration that would crack the stone. Okay, um, yep. Mm -hmm. So Puck's initial reaction of a flashbang... Uh, does a bit because it's an explosive. I uh, did a little bit of damage, but it's not quite um, going to do it. So a firearm is going to work, but it's not going to be as effective as other things, and it might be dangerous in terms of ricochet. Heath pushes the, the shattered piece of gargoyle over and turns back to the other two as they come up the path and kind of puts his hand on his hips. He's like, you are right there, boyo? Yeah, no, I'm fine. It, I pushed it off before it did any damage, so I'm good. That's good, that's good. Now, I'm presuming you sent out a signal. I tried. Mm-hmm. Did you receive it? Check. No signal. You should have thought about that. Both of you should have. You're underground here. Well, I mean... I was busy. We, I, I can put a hand out. I was like, shush. I, I sent you a signal just before I went in. Yeah. 
I could hear that, you then. That was a great deal less underground, though. You're far closer to me. You also might notice your signal to HQ isn't going out either. Yeah. I was the one now sending that. Because I was closest to the door. You two need to consider these things. We shouldn't have split up. That that's good. That that would be a good first step. Uh, okay. Well, in my defence, he has to do what I say. So I guess that makes it my fault. So in your defence, it's shut your up. Problem. It's fine. I'm not hurt. But well, you right. should do what I say next time, shouldn't you? I did, and I got attacked by gargoyles. <laughs> well, you know, maybe if you had a little more hands-on experience instead of your books. This wouldn't happen. Alistair's just, like, rolling his eyes. Like, maybe if we just hadn't split up in the first place. See, this is good. Discourse. This is good. Yes. Anyway. Anyway. Onwards and upwards. He's right. going to turn around and start heading along the path with them now. All right. Alistair's going to step in front and fuck this time. Uh, more you, just You make an opposed roll for that. <laughs> more just to be facetious than for anything. Oh, oh, he steps in front, all right. <laughs> she tries she tries to trip you, but you just step over it. <laughs> um, you, know, you, can, you can hear her, her cursing to herself uh, further down the tunnel behind you. So um, is she or is she not the same person as Dorothy? Same person as Dorothy. Dorothy from episode 15 with the studded leather jacket. The leader of the... Oh, the no, Don. no, Don, no. Yeah. This is absolutely not her. Dorothy was just like a character from Mean Girls, basically, but with a leather jacket. Yeah, but she's got the leather jacket. Or like Cheryl from she's, like Riverdale or something. I don't know. That's how I imagine no, it. Puck is, Puck, <laughs> Puck is a unique individual with an extremely interesting backstory and a rich BJ. character. So <laughs> I know. The fact that I can't do many voices and particularly <laughs> more feminine sounding voices are very hard for me to pull off. Uh, that's your fault. All right. No, you're right. It is my fault. <laughs> Good. I'm glad we had this talk, BJ. <laughs> okay. As you continue further in, um, make up another perception check for me. This one uh, only DC of three. Uh, yeah, my ten. All right. As you are heading out, you take more turns. You seem to be following. It feels like your um, your, the path you are following has singled out, and you are now following the only one that seems to have been traversed anytime recently. So I found three. Were there any more on your side? I'm talking to Puck. Oh, me? Uh, no, I didn't see anything. Okay. As you continue on, though, you begin to find more of them shattered and broken in pieces on the ground. Some of them uh, you can see where the wall, where these this thing would usually have its plinth or whatever it was sleeping on, hiding on, living on, whatever... Um, the whole section of wall is a small crater where this thing's being destroyed. Um, you find other pieces on the ground. Your best bet, there was maybe 10 down here that have mm. been destroyed pre you getting here. Okay. Heath runs his hands through his hair and kind of looks at the other two and says, well, it looks like we found one of our parties. Yeah. Uh, one of you make a roll for me to check, to like investigate. Seven. Um, all right, seven will do it. As you are looking, you can tell both from your your knowledge and physiognomy of this kind of creature, but also from investigating as it is. Uh, this happened recently. There's no dust on any of these things. The there has been no weather-worn damage of time on the stone. Uh, the inside of this stone creature 
effectively is fresh. All right, now I want all three of you to make uh, a stealth check. I rolled a 10, so plus two is 12. I got a 12. I'm a silent all right. boy. Uh, Puck got a 12. Yes! We all got a 12, I think. You all got 12 yeah. or higher. Puck technically would have got uh, 14 mm. because she's got a bonus as well to a natural 12. You are going very quiet and stealthily. Um, train for this. You, yes. Stealth is Puck's speciality. Heath is very light of foot, uh, and Alistair has a fair bit of experience sneaking. <laughs> a lot of practice at being quiet. All right, you make your way down, and on Heath's direction, you are sneaking more conscientiously. Now, you're using the barest amount of light possible, as Heath is quite sure that you are getting close to your target. Uh, as you round a corner, Heath and Alistair make a check for me. 11. Uh, 8. All right, both of you see this puck does not. At the far end of this corridor, you can see that this is a long uh, stretch of tunnel, maybe 20, 30 metres long. At the far end, there are figures. Um, the only reason you can see this is because there seems to be a single small light illuminating. What you can see is two figures. Uh, one of them is fairly large, bulky, uh, wearing a tweed suit. You can see the light bouncing off uh, a bald scalp. Next to this figure is a much more indistinct shape, ragged, shadowy. Uh, there's no face, no features that you can really see, but you can see a dim green light somewhere there too. They seem to be inspecting a large tomb door at the end of this tunnel. It seems you've caught up with your quarry. Uh, I'm going to hold it hand out behind me to warn Puck as well just because she, I assume, didn't see it. Mm -hmm. Okay, so uh, let me uh, roll investigation on this whole area. Uh, that's natural 10. Alright, you see that um, this whole section is lined with more uh, graves. There are plaques and epitaphs. There are stone coffins. There are some wooden coffins that have almost entirely rotted away. Uh, between you and them, there is really just a stretch of tunnel. You don't see anything other than one or two more of these dead stone trolls uh, on the ground. Alice is going to indicate to Puck and Heath uh, and try and um, kind of motion, I don't know how well I'll be able to do this, but communicate kind of, we should sneak into the room and like surround them so that, so, you know, right The corridor is center. fairly narrow. You can definitely try and sneak up on them. But okay. You are actually um, bottlenecking them. There is no okay. way out down this corridor. It's a dead okay. end that they are at the end. All right, that's fine. Okay, Heath is just going to lean in and whisper, don't let them open the door. Go. Okay. Heath is going to let the two of them head in first and going to bring up the rear. Alistair, make a roll with advantage. <laughs> I roll 11 both times. Oh, yeah, great. Uh, well, then you see this and you have seen this several times before. You've known Puck for a little while now. She is a defense operative. Her job is to protect people. Uh, her job almost is basically to be the bodyguard of field agents and okay. researchers and these sort of things. That's what she's training for. Yeah. You see that as they go, while you still have your uh, pistol drawn, she holsters hers in um, the small of her back and rolls up her sleeve and you can see that she's tattooed all over and you've seen a number of these tattoos before and you've seen what she's about to do before on her left forearm you can see a life-size tattoo of a bowie knife right down the inside of her forearm as she moves 
she runs her right hand over the skin of the tattoo and the tattoo disappears. And then in a flash in her right hand is the Bowie knife. Nice. Uh, she has holstered her torch too. She is going low and quick and quiet and I'm, she's moving in. I'm going to let her go in front and bring up the rear with my gun. You are focusing on the main figure, the one that is easily visible, the one in tweed that you assume to be Douglas. Um, and he seems to be murmuring and fretting to himself. Even from here, you can see that he is holding a very small pen light with a, a yellow globe in it. And you can see that there is sweat on his face. Uh, it almost looks like he's having a, he's in a fever of some kind and he is trying to trace the almost illegible engraving on this stone door. Next to him, the figure, the shadowy one, turns and you can see almost a ragged coat or something like that. It's very hard to make out much and you see two glowing points of green light in the shadow. And then Puck darts from cover. She moves in fast and low. She is going with the knife for this shadowy figure. She is maybe two meters away as he turns and you see a hand, a gloved hand come up. And I need both you and Puck and actually Heath too to make a save for me, DC 10. 12, 11. All right. Puck completely failed. Oh, what happens uh, is as this hand comes up, you can see the green points of light that you can only assume are maybe eyes, something like this, seem to flare and grow brighter like a green flame. And there is an almighty crack as the ground between you and these two figures splits open. The ground is rent and the walls shake. Puck loses her balance. She sprawls and almost falls into this fissure. She's She slips, uh, grabs onto the side and is pulling herself out. Uh, out of this fissure in the ground, an eerie green light begins to flow. And all of you can see as skeletal rotting hands begin to claw their way up from the ground. Alistair has seen enough zombie movies to know that this is some kind of Night of the Living Dead shit. Uh, <laughs> and the dead are rising. Okay. <laughs> this uh, is not paranormal knowledge. This is just sci-fi knowledge. Uh, those are dead people getting out of the ground. As Puck is dragging herself out of this fissure in the ground, hands are reaching up, grabbing her legs, grabbing onto her back. There are 14 skeletal rotting figures dragging themselves out of this fissure. So I'm going to shoot the figure in the leg and then run up and try and help her out. All right, make a roll for me. Actually, no, we'll roll with the, the paranormal roll that you had before. What you can see as these figures are pulling themselves from this fissure in the ground, yeah. and Heath, you can see this too. Uh, these are skeletal figures, some more rotten than others. And so you can see that these skeletal figures are embroiled in some kind of flickering blue-green light. And in that light itself, you can see the features of the people they must have once been. Not as if they are dead, but as if they are still living people. You can see eyes and noses. You can see mouths and lips you can see real fingers you can see flecks of clothing suggestive of what they maybe once wore okay there are spirits tied to these bones that are animating them you can hear this anguished moaning cry 
rise up out of this pit as they emerge. Uh, yeah, so I want to roll an attack on the shadowy figure next to Hildebrand. All right, yep. Uh, yeah, trying to sever its connection, I guess. Okay. Because I don't want to necessarily shoot it in the head straight away, but I want to mm-hmm. distract it. You fire the gun into this shadow, and it seems to ripple um, as the bullet, and you hear the sound of it hit home and probably pass through to the stone behind. Um, but the figure itself doesn't seem to shift. It doesn't seem to react as if it's being hurt. Okay. Hildebrand, on the other hand, wheels around and you can see his face is pallid and sweaty and all three of you can see that his eyes have this glazed green sheen to them. Right. Uh, and he's babbling absolute nonsense. The door, the epitaphs, they must be, they must be open. Must, nice, nice. As he turns from you now... You are basically in combat now. Yay! Uh, with 14 of the undead. Two. I rolled a nat 12 for initiative. So give me a description of the scene, of where Heath is, what's in his way, right. to Heath get to is, his students. Heath is standing at the furthest end of this corridor. Now, about 40 metres down this corridor is the dead end with the tomb uh, door where the two quarry, the ones you've been chasing, are standing. Between you and them is about a 10-metre fissure in the ground that is split open, making almost it's taken up almost the entirety of the floor. Uh, Puck is only a couple of metres from the very end where she has fallen into this fissure and she's pulling her way out. Mm-hmm. Um, Alistair is maybe halfway down. He is towards the beginning of where this fissure is. Um, so the fish is running along. Yeah, it's running down the centre of this So you can still tunnel. walk on either side. You can walk on either side, but it's going to be difficult terrain to get there because you've maybe only got a foot or two of space on either side. Right. There's also fingies coming to get you. There's out. not just fingies coming out. They're pulling themselves out completely. They're going to come get you if you don't come down to them, basically. Yeah, okay. I don't care. Well, uh, I think you know what I want to do. So Heath is going to pull off his woolen jacket, chuck it behind him as going to take one puff on a cigarette, the last remains of it, flick it onto the ground, and is going to take off running towards Alistair. Perfect. Okay. Heath, in full form, starts bolting down this corridor. As he does, he angles himself towards one of the walls. Uh, Alistair, you have seen him do this before, but you never get sick of it. As Heath moves, something changes. Um, You can see it first in the fabric of his clothes and in his hair uh, that looks as though there is a wind picking him up from underneath. And then he takes his first step and he moves. His centre of gravity pulls back and he begins running on the wall. Supported as if by his own gravity. He's now running perfectly along this wall. As he begins to move up onto the ceiling, he reaches down to you. You reach up and grab his hand. Uh, He grabs you around the wrist, you grab his, and you feel this same sensation that you never get used to. Weightlessness. You have no weight whatsoever. You are like a balloon. As Heath continues running, you are pulled behind him. Heath is now on the ceiling, sprinting forwards. He is readying something in his arm. As you get close, you are almost on top of Puck, and you feel Heath let you go. Your gravity suddenly returns, and you drop down right beside her. As you are doing this, 
Heath changes his gravity and again he lets himself flip. His gravity propels him, he spins in midair and lands feet first between you and Puck and the two figures at the two front. He cracks his neck and pulls from either side of his belt two black billy clubs with different metal tips to them and turns back to Puck and Alistair and says, and this is when you deliver the one-liner. Puck manages to kick one of the undead in the face that's been clinging onto her, and as Alistair helps her, she scrambles out of um, this fissure. Now, the both of you are kept right to the side of this fissure. The undead are swarming you from all sides. You back up Heath. I'll go for Hildebrand. And then okay. I'm going to... Uh, is there a clear path for me to jump across the fissure? Or, like, how wide is it? It's fairly wide at this point, and there are things crawling out, but it would be a difficult leap. Okay. Um, all right, I'll, I won't worry about that then. I'll just run with her towards them. All right. And attack anything that goes for me, basically. Uh, as you were all moving, this indistinct, shadowy, hooded figure uh, turns from Heath as if he's not there and turns back to Hildebrand and grabs him by the back of the neck. And all of you are going to have to make another saving throw for me. Ten. Seven. All right. Um, Alistair, you might not see this because you were taken off guard. Heath, you are ready, and Puck uh, is low and crouched, and she was already moving. So what you see is that this figure, as he's turned and grabbed Hildebrand, has stuck something to the front of this tomb. Uh, because both you and Puck are in the defense section of Tyr, you recognize it as a small explosive charge, and you have a split second to move before this thing blows the tomb door open. Uh, Heath is going to see Puck in the corner of his eye and is going to turn on his heel, bring his arm around, almost like a punch almost, and bring it around her shoulder and take a step forwards, taking her off balance and pushing her forwards into Alistair and trying to like cover them both. As the explosion takes place, it's not large, it's not flashy, but it rocks the ground around you and you are sprayed with debris. Um, Heath, you're going to take a d6 of damage. Alistair and Puck will take a d4. Four. Uh, one damage for Alistair. Because Aubrey never remembers these things, even after improving the mechanics, um... You are all going to take stress damage. Okay. <laughs> He's uh, fighting, you know, the undead and then also an explosion. Um, so roll a d6 for me, and that is the stress damage you're going to take. Oh! You have fairly high tolerances now. Um, I only took one. I took three. Uh, Puck took three as well. Which comparatively, like, Puck's stress uh, threshold is like 27, so... Wow, you, she's she's got some really just good mental like yeah, calming so exercises. Yeah. There's all you guys are trained so for yours. these things. Yeah, I'm 27. Damn boy, the, your ears are ringing. You can smell dust, um, and in Heath's case, you can taste blood in your mouth a little bit as you've bit the inside of your cheek. Um, you can also smell still this fetid, rotting air from the fissure in the ground uh, as the dust clears. You can actually now see light coming through the other side of this uh, split open tomb doorway. Uh, the dead on in the fissure that are climbing out uh, have been waylaid for a moment. Two of them have been killed, uh, but they are still active. We were supposed to keep that closed, right? 
<laughs> yeah, well, you win some and you lose some, Alley Boy. Come on. All right. And you're going through. Yeah. All right. Um, you push and stumble and make your way through this fissure. Very well aware um, Puck is taking the rear. She is guarding you. As you get through, one of these dead are going to lunge forwards for you. And with the bowie knife held blade down in her fist, she basically punches it in the face um, and then steps through after you. <laughs> As you step into this space, you realize instantly that it is larger and lighter. You can taste fresh air, and there seems to be natural light coming in from somewhere. And I want uh, all of you to just make a quick check for me, DC5. Pretty much instantly, both of you recognize what has happened is that you have traveled underground through these crypts to a connecting church, and where you are now is in the crypt below the church. This is a large room circular in shape all across the floor are tiled mosaics um, set into the floor are more burial plaques the walls also are covered with them high above that almost um, well above your heads there are very thin windows with stained glass and these run to the triple height ceiling uh, this is obviously one of the older churches somewhere else on the outskirts of Bruges so it is like the last crusade Ah, oh, maybe, I don't know. It's been a long time since I've that. <laughs> uh, you can see now that on the opposite side of this room, the shadowy figure and Hildebrand have made their way, and you can see that Hildebrand is figuring, is fiddling with one of the plaques on the wall. Uh, between you and Hildebrand is this shadowy figure. Uh, roll perception again for me, specifically on the figure. Okay, now with added light and more space, you see that this hooded, shabby figure turns again to face you, and you can see now those two green circles that seem to glow darkly are not his eyes. As you look underneath whatever this ragged hood is, you can see a gas mask. But unlike anything you've ever seen, it looks almost insectoid with large tubes feeding into what should be a mouth. This piece of gear seems to encompass both the head and the neck with innumerable little wires and tubes feeding into it. You can see the unearthly glow in the round glass circles of the eyes as he again raises his hand. Heath is going to clap once again, Alistair and, and uh, Puck's shoulders and is going to say to them, Stop Hildebrand. Knock him out or anything like that. Just as long as you as long as he's alive. That's all that matters. And he's going to step up and square off against the guy in the gas mask. 